Today's podcast is brought to you by Blue Canary. The bird has landed on beautiful Bainbridge Island, conveniently located at 499 Madison Avenue. ASE Master Technician Clint Ramsey brings over 15 years of experience, award-winning diagnostic skill, and a desire to reinvent the automotive repair experience. Schedule an appointment online at bluecanary.biz or call them today at 206-451-4220. I'm Maria Metzler, the Executive Director of Helpline House. The global pandemic has affected us all differently. If you or your neighbors need food assistance, mental health counseling, rental assistance, or parks and rec vouchers, please reach out. Helpline House can help in many ways. Find us on the web at helplinehouse.org. It's what we do. Neighbor helping neighbor. I got something for your mind, body, and soul. Good Podcastville, you found the Bystander Podcast. Happy generic time of the day to you. Today my guest is Joe Dietz, uh, not running for city council, actually on city council and running to do it again, which brings me to your my first question. Why would you go back for seconds? <laughs> ah, well, first off, eighth, Tim, thank you very much for having me here on your show. Uh, appreciate it. Very much uh, appreciated. Um, love the BI Stander. Uh, yeah, I've, I've uh, for the last three and a half years, I've been on council and uh, quite enjoyed it. Yes, it's been uh, it's it's often a challenge and can be stressful, but I love working with the community. And frankly, we we have so many important things that we're working on. Uh, you know, whether it's climate, with equity, housing, um, our our uh, Winslow Master Plan that's coming up. Uh, there's so much important work. That I I believe I this really compelled me to run for re-election. Yeah, you want to see it through, right? Exactly. So I I really feel you know the time I put in the last three and a half years, uh, the experience is really paying off now. So uh, I I think it would be beneficial for the community to have an experienced guy f- uh, continue on with this work. So no, I'm really excited to stay on. I see it. You're pounding the table. I like it. <laughs> Let's go. Um, what are the things that you are most proud of accomplishment-wise in the three and a half years? Oh, great, great question. Um, I would say uh, definitely the uh, the climate action plan uh, that I, I helped shepherd through. I was the council liaison to that climate change advisory committee who put the plan together. Uh, definitely, because let's just say climate change is our number one priority of, of how to adapt to it, how to how to mitigate, um, because it is happening. Let's just say the recent heat dome events uh, that, that we've had. Uh, so it is no longer some um, something to be talked about in the future. It's definitely happening uh, in the present. So cl- uh, our work on the climate climate action plan, very very happy with that. But however, having said that, we we all we did, frankly, is approve it. Council approved the plan, which is a very detailed outline of specific actions that the city and the community can take. The hard part, and this is why I want to stick around, is the implementation part. So climate action plan, very pleased with that. Also, uh, very happy with the work we've done on equity. Uh, I um, supported the first woman of color on the uh, city council. I've supported the first woman of color on the planning commission. So uh, this, these are really important steps, and they need this, this uh, approach of, of being inclusive needs to continue. And uh, in, in the sense of also inclusivity, we need to start looking at the folks who um, 
let me just say, when, when I talk to folks, uh, I'm very mindful not just to listen to those who are, who are the loudest, but the, those who are most in need. So in that vein, uh, there's so many people who are being displaced on the island, so many people who cannot afford to live here on the island, be they uh, senior citizens, be they service workers, uh, teachers, firemen, that these are the folks that I think I, I definitely need to represent. And uh, so the work we're doing on affordable housing we're just getting getting started on that, and it's critical, critical that you have uh, Bainbridge Islanders, that you have the right leadership who are willing, who are committed to seeing that work through. So affordable housing, we're off to a good start, um, but there is so much work to, to be done. Same with equity. We're off to a good start, but there's so much work to be done. You've had your cup of coffee. You came out shooting. I like it. <laughs> Shout out to Brenda and Ashley on those um, those jobs as well. You're doing a great job. Keep it up. Ladies, I appreciate you and thinking of you. Um, so you mentioned affordable housing. You mentioned a lot of stuff. Let's just get rolling right into it. Um, affordable housing seems to be a hot topic and has been for quite some time. Um, you're talking about older people getting displaced. My taxes are going up, my property tax. My property tax seems to pay for everything. I was in a house at a certain amount of money with a certain amount of taxes. Now it's more than doubled in value. So the tax burden for my family is, is really strong. How do we change? I, I mean, we have scarcity of volume of places to live on this island. We only have so many, so much space. How can we make it affordable for the retired people um, tax-wise? You know, not just buying more units and, and making them uh, you know, cost less, but the people that are actually here during this transition, how do we keep them from being displaced based on the tax increase every year? Well, based on the tax increase? Well, I, I would say if rather than segmenting why are people being displaced, why are people unable to move here, I think we need to broaden it from just the tax base. Mm -hmm. uh, let's, let's look at uh, the availability of housing. Last I checked, uh, we had like 20 homes on the market where normally there would be 100. And how many rental? Like zero. Yeah, exactly. And so, and of those uh, 20 homes, uh, 16 were over a million dollars. So rather, Tim, I, I would just say I take I, I pay taxes too on my yeah. property and it's, 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 this, it's, it's enormous. It, it is uh, price I pay for living here. But rather than just say, just let's talk about property taxes and focus just on that. Let's talk about the, the displacement. Let's talk about the inability of people to move here. Uh, it's not a healthy community when only the elite, only the rich can afford to live here. Um, that, that is not a healthy, diverse community. No, but we are somewhat the one percenters here on Gilligan's Island. And, uh, you know, how much room for equity in such a small space is there realistically? Well, can we afford not to do this? Can we afford not to have the baristas, the book, uh, folks who work at the bookstore, the folks who work at the grocery store not live here? Um, right now, uh, they don't. Uh, we're going to be doing a housing action plan, and, and uh, we just talked about this last Tuesday. And part of that plan is to start looking, at least from my perspective, is let's look at the folks who cannot afford to live here. Let's look at, say, uh, let's interview the businesses who, of your workers, how many live on the island, how many do not live on the island. And of those who do not live on the island, guess what? How do they get here? They come here by their car. They come here by uh, – on the off on the bridge, so then we say, "Wow, I wonder why there's so much traffic on 305, mm -hmm. which is atrocious." So, um, again, I get it with property taxes, but we really should should not be too narrowly focused no, on just I was one just thing. Trying to take a piece, yeah. of that So you need to look out. at this in the broader scope of like I had a constituent, a uh, senior citizen, contact me the other day, and before when it came to affordable housing, she was like, "Oh well, it's." You know, not a big deal. And then she she contacted me this the other day, and she said, "Joe, my rent in, in my apartment uh, was just raised three hundred dollars a month. I can't afford that." Mm -hmm. Joe, fight for affordable housing. I get it now. So I think we, Tim, we need to look at um, what is the availability of housing for folks of, of lower income, and what do we want to achieve. Mm -hmm. And uh, I get it with property taxes. Again, I am a property. I pay an enormous amount of money on property taxes, but we need to look at the broader context. We will be uh, approving shortly a sales tax, or actually, yeah, excuse me, it's not property taxes. We will be approving a sales tax increase that will go to 
uh, help fund affordable housing, close to half a million dollars a year. <clears throat> so we, that will be fairly soon. And I, actually, how how far does half a million go? How many families is that? How many people is that? Translate. It's to. a start. It's a half million that we didn't have before. Okay. Okay. When you look at affordable housing, there's a suite of actions there's, uh, that we can take. There is. There's not one. Uh, Magic ball. It's sort of like climate. It, it, climate right. action. It's it's not like there's one thing we can do, uh, and that's that's the, uh, that solves the problem. With with affordable housing, there's I could think of about a dozen things that we could be doing, and and so a lot of them we we've been trying. To, the city has been trying, but without a lot of success. So, uh, we uh, multifamily uh, tax exemption is being MFTE is being one. Uh, that will be going through. Uh, the ADUs, uh, accessory dwelling units, allowing people to buy or build smaller homes on their property so they can move there maybe, uh, and perhaps rent or sell off uh, the larger home. Um, transfer development rights where people say in my part of the <clears throat> – I'm in the northward, so there's more – it's a more rural area. So folks in, in, say, my district can sell their development rights to more of the core area of Winslow. So it's a transfer of density. Um, we city owns a number of uh, surplus properties uh, uh, that are not doing anything, mm-hmm. and um, that we can put that to good use in affordable housing. There's a recent legislation that was passed. Uh, well, it was last year by um, down in Olympia, which allows uh, religious organizations to uh, increase density bonus for affordable housing. So I guess what I'm getting at is there's a suite of things that we can be doing. And none of this is going to be easy. It's a complex, difficult problem, but we have to first acknowledge that do we have an issue here? And I would say most definitely we do. Mm-hmm. Well, when when you come to just renting a place here, there's not many rentals, and they're over two grand. And let, let's say somebody's making the new improved uh, minimum wage of fifteen, sixteen dollars an hour. You know, they still can't afford that. What we've deemed low income housing at, at two grand a month, right? And then I get to a point where I want my police in my neighborhood. I want to know the police that are policing my town. And I want to know that they're my neighbor. They're a village member. And, you know, when I go visit my mom in Paulsbo, shout out mom, um, there's a Bainbridge Island policeman that moves, lives right next to her because he can't afford to live here. Mm -hmm. And, I think there's a high risk in being a police officer, maybe not so much on this island, but um, it's not an invaluable job. And to see somebody like that be displaced, you know, we, we need to find some type of solution. So affordable housing has a, f- a large range from the ADU to a duplex to just a single dwelling studio apartment for a police officer to have. Mm-hmm. It, I feel like it is a huge issue here. Mm-hmm. But I don't know how solvable it is. Where where do you see more steps like you're talking about to get us closer to it? Absolutely. Well, how we how I approach it as a, as a council member is we first assess the problem uh, and find agreement that there is an issue, and this, this is true of anything, right? And then uh, let's look at what are our action steps. What can we uh, conceivably do, and when can we do it? So this is where the the housing action plan, which we approved the scope of that back in April, and surprisingly a close vote among on council four to three. Which, Frank, audience, this this should be a surprise to you. Why would that be a close vote? to approve the scope of work for a housing action plan. But it was. I was the, the deciding vote to move that forward. So last Tuesday, we did talk about that scope of work. And, it, and again, it's what is it that we're going to start to increment, try uh, – Incrementally try to do. Yes. Thank, thank you, Tim. Yes. <laughs> Reading your mind, Joe. Yeah, thank you. Um, and so it's – uh, and again, it's not like we don't know what to do. You know, again, there's a suite of actions that uh, you know I, I briefly described. Um, this is the problems that we're addressing are not unknown in other communities. Uh, so we are learning from what is do- being done in other communities. It's just that in, in some of our our efforts, in, in good faith efforts, and previous councils, uh, previous administrations. Uh, Efforts were made to do like a transfer of development right program that failed completely because it just wasn't well supported. Uh, our ADU program is not particularly effective either. Um, so it's not like we're not aware of these things. It's just it is 
difficult to put this through, and it needs commitment. And you need leaders who are committed to working hard to making these problems um, be solved. So what are some of the things that are in that plan that you guys have approved? Oh, for the housing action plan? Well, we're, right now we just approved the scope. But maybe I could go back a little bit yeah. in time. Well, what, what does the scope look like a little bit? Well, the scope looks Peel like – back that curtain. Yeah, sure. Um, let's see. This just last Tuesday we talked about it. It's uh, getting a consultant to start examining uh, – first off, if we're going to try and solve a problem, what is that problem? Let's identify the problem. And so what are, what are the needs? Is it in terms of uh, people, uh, what, what folks uh, need help in housing, uh, what categories of folks, and what kind of housing? And, and I'll just say I don't have an answer to that. I mean I have, I have my uh, ideas, but this is the point of not just going forward and doing a plan without doing the study and finding out what are we trying to solve, mm-hmm. okay? So what is the need? Um, I'm sure you know if you, if you interviewed any of your business, any local businesses and said, "How many folks who uh, work for you live here?" That would be, oh, I think, it would be a very telling mm-hmm. conversation. And that's the sort of thing I would like to see that kind of data because anecdotally, I ask those questions, and it's very striking. Mo- most workers do not uh, do not live here. Mm-hmm. So, so if you say just sort of getting those facts, and again, this is true of anything, whether we're doing a water studies um, you know let's let's get let's get good data and start breaking it down and then then what can we do and when can we <clears throat> when can we do it mm-hmm. okay um, you're you have a background in renewables what kind of climate action items can your average citizen take and do um Great question. Besides, stay out of your car and don't don't take single jet airplanes. To- yeah, and and ride your bike a lot. Um, my daughter needs to go to Winslow today, and uh, I said, "I'm not giving you a ride. Ride your bike." Um, I'm not sure how much she liked that. Uh, but uh, so, what can we do? Uh, well, I, my our own example. Uh, we're a single car family. So are we, and uh, which sometimes that can be frustrating. But we we've we've kept that discipline of just no. We're just having one car. And when uh, the car is being used, such as when I drove down here to see you, now someone else needs to get into Winslow, she can ride her bike. And so you start making those sort of choices, which, by the way, saves you money. Um, And then uh, uh, there is, you know, the renewable energy, like you mentioned, uh, my background. I do have a background in solar. I've been in the industry for about 15 years. Um, Let let me just say, when I first started in that uh, early aughts, and I, I would say, yeah, I'm, I'm uh, a solar uh, consultant uh, back then. People say, well, of course, Joe, you know solar doesn't work here in the Pacific Northwest. You know, <laughs> And that's the kind of comments I was getting 15 years ago. I don't get those comments anymore. Mm-hmm. And, and so I, I do see in some ways it, it's a very significant shift in recognizing uh, that the technology is perfectly uh, – works very well here. Um, the costs have gone sub- substantially down. Um, the city hall project that I did, the community solar project I did, and I, we installed that in 2012. The uh, – let's just say it was a 72-kilowatt system. So this is not something, folks, where that you do at your home, but it's, this is more of a you know okay, commercial scale uh, uh, project. But in 2012, that project cost us about a half million dollars. That was the going rate uh, back in uh, 012 to do that similar project, same um, level of technology, same quality of technology would be less than half that price. So you are seeing a significant decrease in cost in solar. Um, and the thing is, it is very site-specific in our area. Uh, I don't want to get into a tangent about solar, but if you have a good south-facing roof, good su- southern exposure, good place to put the panels, you probably have a good site. So talk to your talk to a local solar installer and see what you call Joe can. Deeds. <laughs> yeah, well, well or, or, there's some very good solar installers in, in our in uh, Seattle and Port Townsend. So I encourage you get these are all local businesses. Uh, please support them and and do the right thing. If we're trying to have a smaller foot, carbon footprint on the island, what's it going to take to have them municipalities such as the schools and the fire department and stuff like that to have solar requirements just built into when, you know, we're going to retrofit the police station. 
can we write in solar into that as well? Is that something that we can do from a government standpoint? Uh I know, I think in California, uh, maybe you know this, I, I, th- I think they actually have that as a requirement, I, I heard. Uh, I don't think it's unreasonable. Yeah. It's, but, uh, but again, it has to be site-specific. Nothing's worse than uh, putting a solar system in that is not well-sited. Uh, uh, it's, frankly, a waste of money. So uh, this is why like, the concept of community solar that I mentioned uh, works so well. I, myself, mm. I have a lot of trees. It's not a good site. So what did I do? Uh, well, I created a law and did this project. But the point being is you can go solar in different ways. You can lower your carbon in, in, in any number of ways. Um, just using less, like I said, one car, ride your bike more, um, get away from propane. Um, What's wrong with propane? A very high carbon footprint. On the other hand, it, propane is good as it has very good storage c- uh, capabilities. So there's a lot of propane use houses on this island. Yeah, because we don't have natural gas. Uh, we're a predominantly electric, uh, electricity-powered uh, uh, community. So if somebody wanted to change from propane, how would they do that? Um, uh, go electric would be probably your best choice. Um, and then uh, let's push PSC to uh, get off coal. Uh, our single biggest carbon footprint for the community is Puget Sound Energy with their, um, their energy mix. So they need to be pushed seriously. Uh, also, I, I like to see us have more resiliency on, on the island in terms of having microgrids, let's just call it that, of more uh, self-sustained grids on, on the island uh, where we're not relied on, relying on power coming across long transmission lines. Uh, and this, what this would require is, again, you know, say solar uh, and, and storage. Storage uh, solutions have dramatically improved just uh, in the last few years. Even just, I mean, a few years ago, I probably would have said, eh, probably not worth it. But, but I, I, I don't think so now. Storing the um, solar power, electricity. Yes. Uh, so you, uh, you produce it when, when you know, during a sunny day, and, and you store it, and then you use it when, um, when there isn't sun. So, so you, you can directly hook up your solar to your own house. You don't have to put it back to the power pole and sell it to the electric company, and then they, they sell it back to you. Yeah. You, you always want it. As a matter of fact, you always want to be connected to the grid because then you get the benefit of what's called net metering. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, but you still, I think, uh, you do want to look at seriously in storage solutions. Uh, do we have power outages on the island? Yes, we do. Um, Last so, week. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so, and I, I don't know why that happened, by the way. So oh, um, That took out our commercial grid. You know. Yeah. So our grid is very, very fragile. And and we need and we need to acknowledge that we need to we need to, <laughs> if you don't acknowledge it where you've been yeah exactly so let's start making this is what my frustration with the utility is that trying to get them to acknowledge that we need to uh, strengthen our grid here not just have uh, more transmission lines uh, I mean there's a there's a there's a case to be made for transmission lines however that's a very um, You'd say one-sided solution. Let me put it that way. Uh, the, but a more community-based solution is a more resilient, a, a grid that will survive when, say, we have a wildfire scenario. Are and they're happening everywhere. Exactly. So what happens? Uh, you know, I'm sure folks know. You know, down in California, you know, a, f- a lot of uh, grids go down during wildfires. We we need to be prepared for that. And and so I, I'm just saying is there it's an evolving solution, but it's we're getting better and better at examining how can we become more a more resilient um, community in terms of our power, say in terms of our uh, mm-hmm. energy use, in terms of our labor force. Um, again, this is all it all gets connected if you think about it. Is is how do we become a more resilient community? For the future, for what's happening, what what we are seeing happening now in terms of housing displacement, in terms of economic inequality, um, and in terms of climate change. So we need to start thinking in those terms. And how we a good a way a good place to start is thinking more inclusive. Um, how do we all work together? And Tim, I don't. This is a, a bit of a segue, but I think where Bainbridge really excels is when we work well together. Look at what we did for the, uh, you know, the COVID vaccinations. 
Bainbridge just knocked it out of the park. It, we Shout were, out to Bainbridge Preparers. You did an excellent job and continue to do a great job. Exactly. Uh, it was my um, – I was very fortunate to be part of that team uh, volunteering. And, and we're getting started up again this weekend for um, – Booster time. Booster time. So we're going to be seeing more of that. So what, the reason I want to bring that up is that is a, a perfect example of what our community is capable of doing, of working together. When we come together, yeah. Come together for the good of all. And I think we need to start thinking in those terms, not just in vaccinations, but in terms of housing, in terms of equity, in terms of climate. We need to realize that we're really stronger when we work together and we're weaker when we become divisive and think of us versus them. Uh, and I know – that gets really easy to do, but we, mm-hmm. need to, we need to fight that impulse. We need to be much more inclusive. And I'll just say my, my style of leadership on council, I really adhere – try to adhere to an inclusive leadership style. And I'll just say uh, I get reelected. You could count on me continuing that, that approach. Is there anything in the last, last few years that has really frustrated you about being on city council where you really – had a vision to see one thing and you had roadblocks put up? Hmm. Let me think. A few times. <laughs> um, yeah, hindsight, you know, which, yeah. which do you feel, you know, had good merit and got shot down? Well, I, I, I mean, one way to look at it is uh, what f- folks may not realize is w- if you see our, our meetings, the council meetings, they go, gosh, you know, they, they act sort of like they haven't talked together before. Well, because they haven't, we haven't. Uh, we we are prohibited from meeting and and to a quorum off off uh, without uh, without any formal notification. It's called the Open Public Meetings Act. It's the law. Uh, I can talk to two colleagues. That's it. So what that means is, often you come into a meeting and you don't quite know where things are going to go uh, because you're prohibited from really asking around, if you will. That's the way the law is. Now, I. This is my way of responding to that is, is the frustration is that it's very easy – let me put it another way. The single precious resource we have is council time on the dais where we actually – when folks see us meeting on Tuesday nights and working through issues. And it's very easy for things to go sideways as I'm, I'm sure people have noticed <laughs> so, a few times. So um, sure, Tim, you could throw a few examples my way. So if you're asking me where have I felt frustrated is when issues that we – sometimes I think, why are we talking about this? Oh, my God. And because if we're talking about something that perhaps doesn't need to be talked about, that means we're not talking about the things that we need to talk about. Um, There's an agenda for a reason, right? Yeah. And uh, – we argue over the agenda quite a bit. Maybe you've, you've noticed that. And it's yeah. – uh, what goes on the agenda is tense. It's a big deal. Um, and, and also I'll just say COVID did knock us for a loop uh, early last year. We were just making some headway on affordable housing. We had a consultant. We were just in the depths. I use that as an example uh, of really examining, say, a TDR, a transfer development rights program, for example, or um, – Floor area ratio to start just not coming to any conclusions, but just starting to, to really examine it, and then COVID hit, and then we just it just threw us for a loop, and suddenly we're talking about how do we stay open and uh, yeah. how do we keep businesses from closing, and how do you how do you think City Council did in supporting small business? Uh, well, at, during COVID, I I took up the challenge. Uh, I let's see, it was about April last year. I excuse me. Uh, <laughs> I uh, I realized that. At the time, the businesses and, and worker uh, businesses and workers uh, were really suffering, and not a lot, frankly, was happening. There was some things happening, and with some of the uh, NGOs on the island uh, that I won't go into. But so uh, M- MGOs, NGOs, uh, NGOs, uh, or would you say is that the last three letters of bingo? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what does that stand for? Well, let's just say some uh, say the downtown businesses, uh, downtown downtown association, and the chamber. Um, and so we needed we needed to start helping these businesses. So I started a, a dialogue with the chamber, the downtown association, and with the businesses, and say what can what can you do? And uh, so uh, we uh, 
I, we formed a task force on council. I, I was uh, took the lead on that to try and examine what options can we do for businesses right away, knowing that one, we don't have a lot of money ourselves. Um, but what can we do to support them? And uh, we did have a, a small business uh, grant program uh, for the businesses. We did, uh, folks know, we did a hazard pay ordinance for some uh, service workers. Um, I mean, these are good steps, but frankly, I, I, I look at them to be perfectly candid. Uh, they were like Band-Aids uh, under the circumstances, but it was what we were trying to do. Uh, is we were trying to do as much as we could and, and really listening to businesses. One thing I noticed, uh, I was in Seattle yesterday, and I saw an awful lot of uh, uh, uses of parking, uh, what's normally parking areas that were for, that are for, out, for outdoor dining. And, uh, and I know, uh, so that was in Seattle and I've seen Polsbo do the same. I, I'd like us to do more of that to say, now that we're going back into a more restrictive COVID environment where say a restaurant or, um, mm-hmm. you, uh, can, you can set up, uh, an outdoor facility, say just right outside your business. I would be very supportive of that. Uh, yeah, cause like Bossa did it and, um, plate and pint put up a tent. Yeah. That's about it. And uh, I think Pegasus, did they do that? Um, yeah, they did for a while. Yeah. So Try uh, the chicken and waffles, by the way, at Pegasus. Oh. They're to die for. Yeah. And actually, uh, yeah, the place uh, nearby the barn here um, yeah. has that. So I guess what I'm saying is I don't want uh, the city to be in the way of, of businesses trying to um, stay open, trying to service uh, people, uh, us islanders, trying to um, – you know, stay alive, frankly. So, yeah. so part of it is, is my emphasis was with the city manager was let's not be in the way of these businesses. Let's not be an impediment uh, to uh, these businesses or, or to the workers. And, um, and I, I think we have, we, we've developed a good mindset to that, uh, to how to adapt. Uh, but mind you, you know, we only have so much money ourselves, so it's we're not the federal government. So, well, if you get more, I've been displaced from Studio Fifteen here in the barn for eighteen months. So, just write my business's name on the bottom of the list for me, will you? I'll do what I can. Um, speaking of which, we do have um, this Tuesday will be interesting conversation on council. Uh, we did get we being the city of Bainbridge Island got just over seven million dollars of American Recovery Act. Let's go. Funding. And we're going to be talking. at the top of the list. Now you're talking. Now, and we, I was just looking at the agenda. We're, we, we have a list of um, ideas of what to do with that money. And so that will be a very interesting conversation, folks. And uh, please stay tuned to uh, what can we do with $7 million to make this a more, uh, to me, a more resilient community. And there's some really good ideas in, in there. Uh, I, saw, I like a lot of them of relating to water because um, since water is precious on the island. Uh, how can we improve, say, our wastewater treatment plant? How can we improve some of our streams, uh, you know, help our streams? Um, how can we improve our aquifer uh, recharge? So just throwing th- those are just some of the ideas that we're, we threw out. Um, and anyway, there's, that will be a very interesting conversation on Tuesday. Well, just remember four years ago you came in here and then afterwards you were elected council. You're going to leave here and get reelected for council. So, you know, toss a brother a bone. I got, I got an aquifer. I want to build at my house. <laughs> <laughs> hey, um, when – I guess we can't really forecast what a full recovery would look like and when it would look like. But is there anything else going on that um, – well, first off – who? Where's the seven million coming from again? Uh, it's from the federal government. Um, so it was the what was it called the American. I hope I got this right. The American Recovery Act. Our is American Recovery Act funding. Um, so we were allocated. It was seven million something. And frankly, as I look at this, we could use seventy million easily. Yeah. Um, no question. But you know, you take what you can. These are. This is a one time. Thing. So the the key to the, those funding decisions is uh, funding that will bring benefits for a long term and so to help the community. I had heard a rumor because you know I'm not fact based um, that somebody on the council or Blair city manager had made a suggestion to keep it for emergencies. And my first thought was. There's never been a bigger emergency for small business owners than the pandemic. 
you know, to save it for something else coming down the road when there are so many people being displaced and out of work and now the the PPE money is drying up here at the beginning of the month, September, and now we're having another surge of, of a new variant of COVID. Um, times aren't getting easier for people. Like I said, I've been out of here for 18 months and I just came back last month and now it's <laughs> skyrocketing again. And you know how many people are going to feel comfortable coming into this small studio? Uh, it's going to be difficult again. So I would, I'm looking forward to that recovery. I don't know what that recovery looks like or, or how we piecemeal it together. Uh, great question. I, I didn't know about this saving savings. Uh, I mean, we already have a reserve fund. Um, I mean, that's already in our budget. Um, so, but no, I, I agree totally uh, for your assessment that <laughs> this is this is the, this is why we were given that money is for the very reason that uh, it's an emergency for our community uh, where we can. Uh, Times have never been tougher than right now for me yeah. in my lifetime, and I'm, I've been here fifty four years. Yeah, exactly. This is this is this is a very difficult time, um, and uh, and a lot of folks, frankly, are, are suffering far more than others. Some folks are actually doing pretty good. Um, so, but a lot of folks are not, and so so I I think helping those uh, most in need, but also thinking, I would say, long term in terms of you know the climate in environment that we're in, uh, in terms of the economic environment we are in. Let's just say, how are small businesses doing even – well, I would say, let's say, how are small businesses doing here on the island? Uh, my, my short answer is not that well. Um, and why do I say that is uh, the city's uh, gets money for sales tax revenue. And our sales tax revenue has actually increased this year compared – let's see. What if, if say – 2020 increase was we saw more sales tax revenue in 2020 the city did than in 2019. However, the share of that funding uh, that represented money from 98110 that is Bainbridge businesses went down. So even though we got more money, uh, the the amount generated from local businesses went down. In other words, local businesses you could say lost market share. So, so where did that sales tax money come from then? Well, a good question. I, I would say uh, Amazon, you know, sort of in other – from uh, uh, a lot of online purchases. Uh, so people, mm. people buying – you know, we're all – a lot of folks are buying stuff, right? Uh, a lot of deliveries. Um, Not me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, some folks. So, But I'm just saying this is I, – I, this is just the data that I have seen. Yeah. So to me, what, what this tells me, what this tells me is – Maybe a lot of islanders maybe have discretion. You know, they have money to spend, but they're not spending it locally. Well, that reminds me that uh, this is a listener-driven podcast, and you can support this show by becoming a member on patreon.com slash thebystander. And you can kick me down 50, five bucks a, a month and I get a cup of coffee maybe. Um, roundabouts, geez, data – Tell me the data behind the roundabout that's going in on the north end of the island. I do not understand the concept, why it is being put right there. I would understand a roundabout on Day Road for sure Mm -hmm. um, because some people take that road to go south on the Mm -hmm. island and to the industrial parks there off Day Road. And, um, you know, that's got plenty of of shoulder and, and room. You got the land trust on one side, the veterinarian hospital, and um, nothing much else, right? So that that's an easy one to go into. But what's the data on the other one on the north end, and why are we putting that in there? Hmm. Uh, great question. Uh, it just so happens I'm on the uh, working group, uh, regional working group, what's called the SR305 working group, which uh, this predates my time on council, but this working group was created, oh, God, like, 016 or so when the state allocated 30 like 35 million dollars for road improvements from ferry terminal to Hosmark and Pulsbow. So mm. they said here's some money you guys decide what to do and who's you guys. It was uh, this working group consists of uh, Bainbridge Island which I'm one of the representatives uh, councilmember Schneider's the other the other representative representing Bainbridge it rep- uh, includes the Suquamish tribe 
includes the city of Polsbow, Kitsap County, and Washtot. So this group, uh, as long as I've been on council, I've been part of this group, and, and we meet kind of on an ad hoc basis. But it was a very uh, deliberate uh, – what do we do with that money? Now, again, we could have used three times – Four times that amount of money. That's the thing about you learning about transportation is there's just never enough. Mm-hmm. So it was determined, how do we make that road safer? How do we uh, make it flow better? Mm-hmm. Uh, because uh, I think <laughs> – have folks noticed the road's been pretty bad lately? I think so. So it definitely needs to be improved. So th- uh, the idea with roundabouts is it helps the, the traffic flow through. Now, you could say, why on particular locations? Uh, well, this was done through uh, traffic studies through the uh, consultant that uh, Parametrics, I think is the, is the name of the consultant company. Um, and so they identified, uh, again, from Hosmark to the ferry terminal, various uh, locations that if we put in uh, uh, road improvements, primarily in, ter- uh, in terms of roundabouts, this would help. Uh, the difficulty that uh, fact of the matter is you have to do all of them that were identified or it doesn't accomplish as much as you would like. So uh, what we found with that $35 million, once we did all the studies and we had our uh, shortlist, uh, we only had money to do about half of the uh, improvements that we felt needed to be done. Uh, so uh, – I'm not sure if I – in a roundabout way of answering your question is <laughs> – About the, the roundabouts. About the roundabouts is the one at Addis Will and, and uh, Westport Madison were considered relatively easier to do uh, than Day Road. Day Road is uh, particularly challenging. It's uh, because uh, of the land around it. What you have to recognize with, with when you do these uh, – Highway improvements. It's it's not just building the road and in this case, you know, the roundabout. It's you have to upgrade the stormwater treatment. How 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 do you treat the stormwater from that? It has to be the regulations. What you do has to come up to the existing rules. And so, uh, in all of these, the stormwater needs to be uh, uh, the uh, needs to be treated and. and uh, as as is currently required. So getting to day road, um, we have on the southwest corner of day road, there's the, the, the land trust property. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, as I understand, uh, I think this was the first. First parcel that they purchased. First parcel. Yeah, thank you. Yes. And and so to me, I, I look at that as like sacred land. You know, it's like thou shall not disturb that property. So uh, there was – Discussions, well, we could put stormwater on that property, like a pond or something. No. <laughs> this representative said that's not going to happen. Um, we actually walked that property. We talked with the land trust. Um, is there any way to do it? And the short answer was we just couldn't see how that was going to work. So then we looked at uh, the veterinary clinic across the street. Um very problematic there as well. And mind you, this was right around January of 2019. Okay, so what was going on at that time, COVID? And just when we were starting to recognize, wow, this, is, this day road is going to be very, very difficult to do. Uh, we, we did find another solution with the, the stormwater, which was uh, building – there's a term for this, but there's sort of these re- retaining – these tanks that would be sunk into the ground and then we wouldn't be uh, de- uh, denigrating the property on either the land trust or the veterinary clinic, but very expensive. Isn't that what they did around uh, ProBuild? Oh, I don't know. I, I don't I, – I'm not aware of that. Um, but uh, we start just started examining that, but the cost was – Oh my God! I th- that just for Day Road, I think it was like thirteen million dollars, um, if I re- if if I'm remembering correctly. And then COVID hit, and we we just we we just actually the work on that all that effort just sort of stopped. I'll just be candid, and because there was just we we couldn't meet, and other priorities kicked in. So it's like big delay and then we start coming back and realize now we, we actually don't have that much money. Uh, trans, uh, costs of doing any work uh, has skyrocketed. 
Can we nix the roundabout at Addis, Addis Will? Is that the road? Uh, it's, Addis Will. The thing is we still need to do that. The thing, what I wanted to emphasize is when we look at how do we improve this this way, this road. Uh, yeah, because I, I don't see it like spinning off right or left. Yeah. You know, at Day Road, at least you're, you can take a right or left and go to the south end of the island yeah. and get those people off the scenic highway. Um. What I wanted to emphasize, Tim, is is when you're looking at all these projects, one, one project that uh, I didn't mention, but it's it's off-island, that really needs to be done is at, at the casino. Um, there needs to be a roundabout place there. Uh, well, until that is done, we're really not going to see much of an improvement in our traffic. Uh, but that is under tribal jurisdiction. Mm-hmm. And um, and they've said no numerous times, right? Well, I, it's it's their work, it's their business. Let me right. just say, and 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 talking with the representatives, it's they are going through it in the way that they, uh, how they they approach their 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 own problem, their own challenge uh, there. Uh, yeah. I don't know if it's a problem because they have the lights all synced to just push you right into the <laughs> casino. Yeah. Well, I I think the the key here is is that. It's the the Squamish tribe. They're working on this, but it, it, I don't know. I, I I don't want to say when will that be resolved. It's it's under their own timeline. But frankly, we have our own uh, timeline, challenging time tri- timeline. We're trying to do day road, for example, mm-hmm. um, we don't have a solution for that. And until we fix that, uh, I don't think we're really going to have a, uh, a real improvement. And let me just add here. Um, it's really important for us as a city and us as a community to be very involved and try and find solutions with these problems. Because the fact of the matter is, WashDOT <laughs> rules in the uh, in this work. They can they That's don't Washington even, State Department of Transportation. Yeah, if you thank don't know you. That acronym. They actually don't need our approval. They could just simply do it. Do whatever so, they felt feel like doing. And what? Is, what? Is, I'm sorry to interject. I'm getting frustrated. <laughs> okay. No. Not with you, but the idea that this roundabout is the solution to anything. I mean, it, it's going to slow traffic up. There's not a turnoff. It's at the north end, right before the bridge. The bridge isn't going to get wider, you know, uh, become a four lane bridge or anything like that. What solution is it providing for us? It's one part of many solutions that have to be done basically together. So if Day Road doesn't get done, it, it, Addison will, it will, will not? It will improve somewhat. But until you until the uh, casino roundabout is done, you're always – Don't tell me when it's going to improve though. Yeah. yeah. The roundabout because it's not a four-way intersection. It's, it's two lanes. Two lanes. And let me just say, you, you mentioned the bridge, Tim. Uh do you, would you want to see a four-lane bridge? This is this is a little trick question. Do you want to see a four-lane bridge? There? I would like to see a three-lane with one lane that switched, okay. depending, depending on the ferry, and have room for a bicycle. Because like, if you're on that little sidewalk on your bicycle to get off the – it's a little sketchy. Oh, yeah. yeah. And it, there used to be a sign that said, get off your bike and walk it across the bridge, and that sign's no longer there. So I see people there, and they're – they're tilting with their wheels, you know, shaking yeah. a little bit, and uh, there's wind over, uh, at that altitude on the bridge too. I don't like going across it on my bike. No, it's it's. So let me just say is uh, we have to be uh, have a, a, a serious eye on what happens to that bridge because if there's talk, readers, listeners, excuse me, if you hear talk of a four lane bridge going in, be concerned because if there's going to be a four lane bridge on three hundred five. What's stopping Washtop from putting a four-lane highway on Bainbridge? The scenic byway law. No, that doesn't hold. Washtop can kind of do what they want. So I'm just saying we need to be very um, – So are they driving this roundabout or Oh, Washtop is? Uh, absolutely. Well, roundabouts are – by and large, they're safer. Uh, if you want to talk about safety, uh, they're, they uh, – Statistics very convincingly show that they're, they're, it's far safer to have a roundabout for car ac- uh, car collisions than otherwise. Uh, it does c- increase flow uh, for for uh, cars getting through. Um, but again, you you need all the solutions to be put in place. And frankly, also, you know, we mentioned Day Road. How about um, 
down at uh, uh, Sportsman's in, in 305. We need, we need improvements there. I mean, here, here we have a highway. Uh, mm-hmm. How many times have we, we've seen uh, uh, young uh, kids trying to get to, uh, to Sakai or, or, or to Woodward? Um, mm-hmm. And they're scurrying across the, uh, the road. Well, moreover, if you're leaving school to catch 305, traffic is all the way backed up into the school parking lot because everybody – I know myself – I would have to get my son at exactly at 3.30 to get him to Tacoma for soccer practice at 6. So the biggest majority of my commute to Tacoma, even though it's 60 miles, was getting off the island yeah. from the school. Yeah. And that roundabout there makes sense to me because you're going multiple directions. The yeah. one at the end, I still don't understand the solution it provides. Well, it – Tim, I'm happy to send you information. I don't have this traffic study data, but trust me, there was it was relentlessly studied and scored and 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 budgeted. So it's it's not just definitely there was a ton of thought. My, but my concern about this whole thing is keep in mind, uh, listeners, that there's never never seems to be enough money for transportation. So you want to co- complain about traffic? Don't just talk to your city council member. Talk to your state legislators. Mm-hmm. Talk about the amount of funding that they provide us because we got, what, $35 million a few years ago that are, is not going to do it. It's just not going to do it. So uh, you, you need to talk to your state legislators and say, we need more money for this. Now, maybe we'll get an infrastructure bill from the federal government, but who knows? And then in what form will that be? But All right. I wasn't trying to hold you to to fire. I was just a little no, frustrated. Please send me the information. I'd gladly look over it. Um, when we talk about infrastructure, you know, we had a levy that didn't pass a few years ago that was somewhat poorly wrote, written. The mobility levy. I noticed that city of Bainbridge Island, referred to as Kobe, um, often flushes the water mains on roads constantly to keep them clean. And I see on the Facebook pages, a lot of people have brown water on this island. And then you have well water, you have aquifers, you you have a regular water system. What does our infrastructure look like for the future water-wise with the pipes and such within the city? Are we constantly looking at that? And do we have a plan to find funds to replace old pipes and stuff like that because we had the lead in our, our kids' elementary school. Remember that? Yeah? Oh, here? Yeah. Remember at uh, uh, Sakai, wasn't it? Really? They shut down all the um, drinking fountains because there was so much lead in, in the water at the school. Oh, wow. You don't remember that? Your kid was going to school at the time. <laughs> she never talked to me about that. Uh, it was a big deal. Um so do we have a plan to improve the water system on the island through, it, through uh, infrastructure? I would say that that's, that's what we uh, do for our, our public works is, uh, it, it is there is an incremental plan of, of, of uh, improvements. So uh, I would say that things like water and sewer, is, is, those are the improvements that people don't see that are, that are critical. Um, and, and actually a lot, some of our ARPA funding ideas fall under that. Uh, I think in relation to sewer, in terms, uh, in relation to uh, the wastewater treatment plant, I'd love to see that upgraded. In terms upgraded, in terms of um, the capacity that it receives, what you say, the inflow, it, it's we're almost at capacity. Uh, well, we basically are at capacity, I would say, at the uh, Winslow wastewater treatment plant. Uh, and in terms of the outflow, uh, how can we improve the outflow that goes, in this case, to Puget Sound? Is it, we need? I would like us to improve it. We're all within the law, but is that good enough? So there's a lot of things that are that you and I don't see that affect. Uh, the Puget Sound that affect our environment, and I like—I really believe Islanders consider them. We all con- we consider ourselves as good stewards, and would look at these as worthwhile investments to do. But again, there's only so much money, uh, so we're we're going to be fighting over seven million dollars with a list of that far exceeds that on Tuesday. Good luck with that. You know, it's hard to prioritize where you put that money, for sure. Um, 
tell me else what else is going on um, food waste plant there was the the triangle project um they were talking about uh, the drive through food waste um there across from Vincent Road yeah yeah. Um, is that dead in the water or is there plans to do something similar to that? Because I know that majority of our recycling is taken off the island. Mm-hmm. And uh... Well, I, I, let me uh, – I'll, tr- I'll try and answer this. First off, that is not city-owned property, so uh, we're not driving that. But there was a, a, a request to have uh, – uh, what was it um, – you were just saying uh, on the on that side. composter. Compo- thank you, composting. Thank you, Tim. Um, and a lot of concern was raised in the community, and uh, there was concern about, um, I think, pr- principally smell. And it was, uh, it was not convincingly shown that that those problems would be overcome. So I I don't know what's happening with that now. Uh, but when we discussed it, we did not endorse. That idea, council did not. Uh, but again, the city doesn't own that property. But what we have done in terms of waste, uh, this and this falls under uh, our climate action plan, which uh, council approved. Now we're uh, in the implementation state phase. Is we're looking at how can we reduce our waste on the island. I'm sure you folks seen the garbage cans overflowing in Winslow. We need to do something about that. And I, I just use that as sort of a catch-all, you know. Uh, metaphor when you see the amount of waste how can, how can we reduce that and so uh, we did uh, pass a an ordinance the end of June to, uh, for uh, single use plastics uh, how um, businesses can provide those to the degree that they can uh, provide those to customers it's much more restrictive now but also we have – looking at it more in the broader scheme of things of how do we reduce – let's just say how do we answer the question. How do uh, we reduce the waste from uh, our food service businesses? Um, and this would include like t- uh, town and country and, and, and the restaurants. And so we formed uh, – this was my suggestion on council was we form a task force uh, to uh, compose uh, – it's a multidisciplinary task force of – of course, council members, uh, people in business who are in this space, uh, who you know provide food to, to customers, and people in the environmental field with expertise in plastics and waste reduction. So we just we formed this task force at the end of June, and um, we've we just we've had two meetings so far. So it's a fairly uh, I'd say big lift that we're looking at, but it's it's a excellent uh, excellent group, and uh, I'll just say stay tuned. Uh, that we are very much looking at well, how can we uh, reduce the waste on Bainbridge Island, knowing that you know Bainbridge <laughs> we're an island, but we're not right. Um, we can have the most restrictive laws in the country, but we're surrounded by jurisdictions that don't. So. Uh, we need to be how, – how can we how can we carry this off? Let me put it this way. With how can small businesses be, uh, have a more restrictive uh, use of plastic and still stay in business? May, may that, that may be a way of putting it. So uh, – and this is the challenge. It's a very, very real challenge. But I, I'll just say, uh, listeners – this is something your city is doing, what your uh, council members are doing. We are looking at this challenge and, and we're doing – we're going to see what – we're going to work extremely hard to, to make a change in this. And, mm-hmm. and, I, and I think you'll be proud of the work that will come out of that. Well, my favorite r- restaurant, Subi, does – has just done takeout. And I know they've used more plastic than they would like to. Um, but I think it also needs to be a mind shift where we're, we're obese people. For the most part, don't take leftovers. Obese, did you say? Yeah, don't take leftovers. Order what you can eat. You know, <laughs> then we can get rid of all these uh, plastic takeout containers and stuff so like maybe, that. So maybe. So should we have an ordinance? Uh, smaller portions. <laughs> yes, uh, it's tapas for everybody. They taste better anyway. Order appetizer. Um, I'm going to let you go here in a minute, but I want to know from a shoreline owner mm-hmm. what the shoreline master plan actually is because it's something that I've 
not taken an interest in because I'm nowhere close to the beach. So it's not something that has my interest peaks. So, but I hear you talking about it a lot and you have to excuse yourself from a lot of the conversations because you are living on the shoreline. So to make law, I don't know how that works or it doesn't work. Do you have a opportunity to vote or on shoreline improvements? Uh, well, uh, I, I happen to be a shoreline owner, but that doesn't uh, preclude me from being part of the conversation or voting. I, I you just have to disclose. I it. disclose it. And so th- this is how 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 it works, listeners. Is if you see yourself, uh, say as a council member, you're personally affected by whatever the discussion is. You you discuss it, uh, or you 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 disclose it. Um, in the in this case, yeah, when we're talking about shoreline, uh, I say well. Uh, yours truly is uh, happens to be a shoreline uh, owner, but uh, and but the view is well. Wh- why should that just prohibit me from being part of the conversation? If anything, maybe that's that's an added value. But but the the shoreline management uh, plan is is very important. It's what we're doing right now is simply a I should say simply it's a review of an existing plan. It's it's to bring it up to current. Uh, Department of Ecology regulations. So, meanwhile, the the current plan is is very long and very hard to understand, and, I, and as I understand, can be very um, conflicting. And so, we all agree. I would say every one of us on council, and pretty much anyone you talk to, agree that this needs to be a much more readable, more understandable document. Uh, not necessarily – I've yet to hear of a particular rule is excessive. It's more, Tim, of I can't understand it. And, th- and that's not good. It, it should be such that you don't need to hire an attorney or some specialist. It should be someone like you and me can read it and go, okay, I get it. I, I, mm-hmm. I, I get what, what the requirement is. And we're not there yet. And so we had a discussion – uh, just last Tuesday about this, and we, and it was under titled under do we pa- quote pause it, and it was, I think pause was the wrong word to use. It was more of how can uh, staff support the planning commission in its efforts to achieve the results the ro- results that we want to see happen again a more simplified, uh, easier to understand document. And um, bit of there's been some frustration, I'll admit, but I, I think we're on the right track. Um, our new city manager is this is very much on his radar. Uh, so I, I would just say stay stay tuned. But but again, it's it's really to make it a better document. We do need a shoreline master plan. We do need to do what we can to. Uh, um, so is there a master help. plan right now? Oh yeah, yeah. And what are some of the things that are in it? Um, like, don't eat poisonous clams or what? Yeah, no. Well, it'd be you know what you what you can do with your property. Um, uh, oh, like uh, shore access, beach um, length, uh, or whatever. Yeah. I, well, I I would say not so much like uh, say someone who their access to the beach kind of uh, if you're talking about someone who doesn't live on the on the water, but it's more of hey, uh, I want to. Uh, I'm interested in expanding my deck. So let's just say, what what are the rules for that? Or um, certainly, issues of relating to bulkheads would come into play. Uh, there's there's a concept of um, oh, so like docks and bulkheads and yeah, um, retaining walls, anything yes, like that. Yeah, the rules relating to that. And uh, oh gosh, there was a term I was going to use, but but it's it's the idea is whatever you do, you don't make things worse. Okay, but but what you are allowed to do. Is if it's sort of a how do you say a a, a net? Um, it doesn't make it, it is no worse than what it was presently. Generally, no no net loss. I think is now is the term that comes to mind. Is no it, net loss. loss. Um, and so, but how do you define no net loss? And that can be complex in itself. And this is loss where of shoreline or loss of loss of uh, damage to the you know to uh, the ecosystem in front the of eco- your house? the ecosystem to say in, in, in general because it's do you um, and it depending on what you do, you know, is it do if you do this, can you can you net it out by by improving make an improvement here? And this is this is where I th- it becomes I think 
very frustrating for shoreline owners is it's that is not clear. How do I achieve no net loss? And I, and that is something we we need. We the city need to make uh, do a better job of making it clear. Yeah, because we've been talking about it for five minutes. I'm not any clear. <laughs> <laughs> so the short of it is, is we are. Uh, going to be examining how we process the, the SM shoreline management plan uh, review and how we can do a better job uh, in coordinating staff with the planning commission. When I'm, you notice I'm not mentioning council because at this moment we are not the ones involved. So uh, when you think of city government, there's all these different committees and, and such as the planning commission and everyone has their part to play. And so right now it is before the planning commission. All right. I feel like taking my crayon box out and rewriting this master plan myself. There you go. (laughs) Anything else you want to hit on before we get out of here? Uh, Well, just thank you for having me, Tim. This is wonderful. Good to see you. Yeah, it's been too long, man. And uh, listeners, I I hope you're doing well. Um, I am your representative. So if you have any um, issues city-related, feel free to contact me. Uh, My um, email address is jdeets at bainbridgewa.gov. My city phone number is 206-473-1864. And I do answer my phone. So thank you so much, Tim. And you have a website as well with where you stand on the... Um, well, uh, city website. And I, I have a little comment page. Uh, I, I, I've put comments, but okay. um, Snap, mostly... Snapchat. You yeah. Snapchat. Um, well, I, I have... TikToking. Yeah, I have, uh, <laughs> I, I have office hours, but I, I, I'll just say I haven't done that of late because... Um, uh, the Cup of Joe thing? Where yeah, because uh, one is, is I am uh, up for re-election, and I, I felt, would it be a conflict if I had my office, regular office hours, and people could say, oh, well, you're just doing this for political reasons. So I've, I've set aside my regular office hours, but let me just say, uh, listeners, I am your representative. Let me know if you have any questions. And you do not have to be in the North Ward. You can be anywhere on the island and uh, feel free to reach out to me. Well, best wishes in the election. Thank yeah. you for taking the time to have a conversation with me and let's do it more often. You've been listening to The Bystander. Be kind.